Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. and welcome to Paradise Island. This is Under Consultation, a huge episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I invite you to look upon my contemporary style. And getting my hands on other people's conkers, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 13th of January 1998 and FIFA 98 holds on to that top position in the video game charts. That cover of Perfect Day returns to the top of the pops, but we have a new number one at the box office, The Jackal. I suppose we were all dangerous people, but he was uh, different. There's supposedly a killer for hire who uses that name, but we've never been able to prove if he even exists. Can you kill this person? Yes. This man was ice. How much? 70 million. They call him the Jackal. They don't know who he is. The CIA can't track it. But we have a physical description. At least that isn't going to change. He's got a lot of faces, this one. No KGB member has ever seen him. But he's about to meet his match. Declan Bull Queen, IRA. Is this the first number one we've had that's a remake? Have we had other remakes before? Because technically, this is a remake slash readaptation. I think. I think we've had some remakes in the past. We must have done. Certainly, like, you know, because it's it, we've had certainly adaptations that are done or sort of like loose adaptations on something. So I think we've had something along these sorts of lines. Didn't we talk about Freaky Friday in the Christmas episode? Or We uh, did, Oh, that yes, wasn't the number one. That was on TV. It was on TV, yeah. But we did talk about it. There we go. Close enough for government work. So this is a remake of the 1973 film Day of the Jackal, which was based on the novel of the same name by Frederick Forsyth. The Day of the Jackal did pretty well, critically. This film didn't, because film critics. But it was a commercial success, grossed nearly $160 million worldwide against a $60 million budget. Quite a cast to it as well. 
I don't know if I would ever classify because I, I, I've, I've had this before where people have said um, it's a remake of Pride and Prejudice. Can it be a remake if it's just an adaptation? This this is an uh, you know it's an adaptation of a novel. It depends because if you've got a book that's been made into a film and the film makes significant changes from the book, then there's a remake and the remake draws more from the film than the book. Then I would say it's a remake. If the present film draws more from the source novel than the original adaptation, then it is another adaptation. Yeah, and I'd, I'd argue that most Pride and Prejudice adaptations are exactly the same as the, the the source text. Apart from Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Well, yeah, I mean, no, I'm pretty sure that was close enough as well. I don't know, mate. I studied Mansfield Park. If someone had done Jurassic Park, or someone had made a new version of Jurassic Park, but it was closer to Crichton's original, you would say that's an adaptation. However, it wouldn't be marketed as such or talked about it as such in magazines or in online or something. It would be called a Jurassic Park remake. And I've never quite got on board with that, that argument. Yeah, I mean, I've often wondered why no one has tried to do another adaptation of Jaws. I mean, is it an untouchable property? Because Yeah, I'd say so. But the film takes some major divergences from the book. If Jaws had been like a moderate success, then yeah. But Jaws is Jaws. It's the original summer blockbuster. Like I think you are, you're stepping in some very big shoes in order to readapt the the novel. If they were to adapt the novel, it would have to be done as a mini series just so they could delineate themselves from the movie. And it gives time for the subplots that were just completely missing from the movie, like uh, the mayor having mafia ties and embezzling money, uh, Ellen Brody having a affair with Hooper, uh, spoilers for the book, and oh yeah, pretty much everyone dying at the end. The the argument that Mark Kermode has always given about Jaws is it's not a movie about a shark, it's a movie about marital problems. Yeah, I, I, would, I would take that. It's the a, shark is a metaphor. <laughs> a metaphor that barely works. <laughs> but the jackal was a remake slash readaptation, however you want to do it. But one thing that was clear is the maker of the original version and the writer of the book did not want this film to be made, to the point of them filing an injunction to prevent it from using the original name, because that's why it's just called The Jackal rather than The Day of the Jackal. Because they even tried to do that thing, which they were doing a lot in that late 90s, because we're about to get into the, uh, you know, the, the remake of Wild Wild West, where they wanted to have the original star appear in it. Because when you, like, you're remaking things, you want to have as many original people from it, even just cameo or just appear in it. But like Ed- Edward Fox turned down the option to have a cameo in this movie because just did not want to be a part of it. But I'd imagine because its director and original writer didn't want any part of it either. Yeah. I mean, there really isn't a whole lot to say uh, about The Jackal. And as we've already talked about Perfect Day, we could dive into some of the other bits of TV news. For example, on January 9th, Parky returned to TV with his brand new series. The first lineup of guests include Anthony Hopkins, Barry Manilow, and Paul Merton. That is quite a diverse little guest list he's got going on there. He's not doing too badly. Also not doing too badly for themselves on January 12th, the debut of Goodness Gracious Me on BBC Two. I used to love watching Goodness Gracious Me, even though quite often I watched it and thought, am I meant to be laughing at this? It was a weird cultural thing and I got it with some shows where I just, I, I guess I had, I got very young white guilt. But I thought Goodness Gracious Me was hilarious. Such an amazing wealth of talent in that show. The sketch that always stands out to me is when 
they go out for an English. What are we having now? <laughs> okay, jams. Right, first up, we'll have ten. Not bad. Twelve, yeah. twelve, twelve bread rolls. <laughs> and bring some of that uh, fancy stuff. Kya hota hai? Butter. Ah, butter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, main course. What's everyone having here? What's the blandest thing on the menu? <laughs> The scampi is particularly bland. I'll have that and bring a fork and knife. Yeah. Listen, listen, yeah, listen. Yeah. I'm going to have the same as him. No. Yeah, uh -huh. Except I'm also going to have prawn cocktail. Hi, hi. <laughs> But, Ash, before we get into the show itself, have we got anything going on in the magazine? Well, we've already talked about this a little bit because it featured on the show, but Space World has been and gone. Lots of new games coming out of it, many of which we've already talked about, including those weird pocket monsters, what will ever become of them. It's a fad Digimon now, that's the future. There's mention of F-Zero X and talking about releasing extra courses for it via the 64DD. More on that later. Also talk of them showing off 1080 degree snowboarding, which basically is looking to take on cool borders. And rounding it off with a look at NBA basketball, Banjo-Kazooie and Diddy Kong Racing, which is actually reviewed in this issue. And also more 64DD games like Mario Artist, Talent Maker, Polygon Maker, Picture Maker, as well as Earthbound 64 and Super Mario RPG 2. Something that's often criticised of the N64 is the third party releases. There were third party releases, but a lot of them weren't great. Mm. At this Space World show, we had things like Winter Olympics, NBA in the Zone. They were both from Konami, as well as Bandai being there waving their pocket monsters about with Tamagotchi World. Oh, really now? But Luke, sad news. What's that? Well, we've already talked about it in that the 64DD will be delayed and won't see the light of day until July 1998. Oh, gutted. Interesting that Earthbound 64 gets a mention in there. You know, it's a, like, it's, you know, just one of those things that we've kind of sort of discussed it over slightly there, but we don't get it in the end. That's a fascinating little thing to just be like, you know, talked about and you know, discussed there very briefly. And actually, even just Earthbound being sort of discussed in general, because it always felt so much more of an Eastern property than it ever. Like, I remember when Super Smash Brothers gets its release over here and Ness is the final character. And there was just this big question mark of, who? And there's no context in the news article either. It's just a case of, oh, there's RPGs, Earthbound 64, Super Mario RPG 2. We're yeah. going to assume that you know what those are. And I imagine if I was reading this back in 97, 98, I probably wouldn't. But there is a separate box out about the 64DD, proudly proclaiming the 64DD was there. Small appearance, but huge future for the Nintendo 64 add-on. I mean, huge future, Luke. You might even say it's a huge future uh, for it, Ash, because as Dom told us, this could be the real game changer for the Nintendo 64. And I believe him. Nintendo finally had some games to show off on the 64DD and made some stunning comments about how the future was shaping up for their disk drive add-on. Whilst there weren't as many games as expected for the machine, what was on show more than made up for it, with Zelda, F-Zero X and Yoshi's Story, all playable and impressing the hell out of anyone who managed to get close. Now, Yoshi's Story is a fascinating one to feature there because we saw the cartridge version of that reviewed last week. The future is definitely looking bright. In speeches, Nintendo also let out a few details about what they were planning. As you will see, there's a lot more coming than anyone first thought. We all knew that the DD would enable you to save and play entire games, 
but Nintendo are launching a range of artistic titles, which we've also seen featured on the TV show, that use a lot more of the DD's power. In games like SimCopter, you'll be able to import cities you've designed in SimCity and fly over them in your chopper to sort out any crisis that's happening. You could also import art from the artistic range to decorate your sprawling conurbations with. Now, this ties back to when we were talking about the Game Boy camera, because that too was going to hook up, or could in fact hook up, with SimCity 64. I really appreciate like the boldness of it. You know, they've got these big grand plans for things that you can do. And like when you sort of read it on paper, you're like, yeah, that does sound wicked. I mean, ultimately, it also sounds a little bit pointless just be able to create a, a 3D uh, city in SimCity and then you can fly over it in a helicopter. It's like, well, great, but, but then what? Well, they do say you can like use the chopper to sort out any crisis. So I imagine there would be like sand buckets or water buckets you can drop on fires or maybe rescue people. See, that would be pretty cool. You build a Sim City and then you play the emergency services responding to disasters and fires. That would have been really cool. I would love it if you could have driven around and watched as Bowser walked through your city destroying it. That would have been very cool, but we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know. But I, I do like its ambition. Well, speaking of ambition, boy howdy, this last paragraph tells the tale. The possibilities seem endless, and with Nintendo's full weight behind it, the 64DD looks like it could avoid the embarrassing mistakes made by Sega with their 32X and Mega CD add-ons. Oh, man. Oh, that's oh, a deep burn. That is a deep burn. There's In a... retrospect, ooh, that stings. <sighs> that's a sentence that has aged like a fine murder right there. That's a real shame. Just one last bit of Nintendo news, and in fact, a little bit of a magazine war news article here. Mm -hmm. It's from the Nintendo column, and it says, Off their trolleys, movie magazine Empire announced that it considered one of the best games of all time, GoldenEye 007, to be nothing but a standard testosterone-loaded Doom clone. Good work, fellas. These are the people who called Resident Evil a Doom clone. Wonder what they'll say about Quake. Yeah, I mean, the TV show has been a bit guilty of it at times as well, just referring to things as Doom clones. Tomb Raider football game. Exactly, the Tomb Raider football game. And, you know, Metal Gear Solid, it's, you know, oh, the comparisons to Resident Evil will be obvious. But calling Resident Evil a Doom clone. Yeah. And also ignoring a lot of the, you know, quite subtle genius. GoldenEye was one of those first games where you could apply stealth as a first-person shooter using the silencer, stuff like that. I mean, come on, guys. Video games aren't that foreign at that point. That does feel like peak Empire, really. Even then, like, because I remember when there, there was a documentary that came out a couple of years ago that was like video games, the documentary or video games or whatever it was, basically a documentary about the history of video games. And that opened with the whole, like, did you know that it's a billion-dollar industry? I was like, yeah, it has been for decades decades and decades and decades i don't i don't know why we keep pretending like it's this second class citizen thing of like did you know it's actually successful the and the case i'll bring to this the wizard made like something like 50 million dollars something like that at the box office 20 million dollars maybe i can't i can't remember the exact figure off the top of my head and it was there to promote mario 3 which did 500 million dollars in sales Nintendo did not need Hollywood. Hollywood needed Nintendo. And just to bring it round full circle, because Luke, it's not like we've talked a lot about film critics failing in the past couple of weeks. We're recording this just as the Mario Brothers movie is getting out there and is on general release. And boy howdy, some of the reviews from noted film critics are something quite special. I yeah. can't believe we sit here a quarter of the way through 2023 and people 
are spending an entire paragraph of their article explaining who Bowser is. Because he hasn't been around for 40 years, he's not like he's part of one of the biggest video game franchises in the world. Depends on who you, I speak says that from the Variety one, it depends on who Variety's readership is. If they're old people who don't know, then maybe. But you're right, like it is, it, it's, a, it's a waste of, of print time. I was more annoyed at the, the people who were like criticizing it for being a kid's movie. I was like, what are you after? Of course it's a kid's movie. I mean, literally, it is bright and colourful and it is based on a video game that, for the most part, has resisted going grimdark, apart from in 1993. Well, quite. <laughs> and speaking of Empire, actually, their review of it, considering that Empire have spent the last 30 years lambasting that 1993 movie, and any time they talk about video game adaptations, call it one of the worst video game adaptations of all time, have roundly criticised it as one of the worst movies ever made. In their review of the Super Mario Brothers movie, criticised that the new one doesn't take as many risks as the original one did. Pick a fucking lane. Like, what do you want it to be then? I hope Mario Brothers finds its audience, its audience finds Mario Brothers, and everyone just has a good time. People that love the movie will love the movie. People that will hate the movie will hate the movie at least there is a very slim chance of any of the people involved being accused of being Nazis for making this movie. Quite. And I'd imagine it's going to do pretty well at the box office, and I think it will likely get a sequel. And uh, having seen the movie, uh, I'm, I'm excited for a sequel, because I think it sets up some ideas in the first movie that can be expanded upon in a second. Although if we're doing it properly, for the sequel, there will actually be two sequels, one of which is really complicated and difficult to understand and will only be released in Japan, and the other of which will just be a reskinned movie. Like, they'll just take the Lego movie and paste Mario's face over it. Hello and welcome to Games Master, where once again the girls have given me crabs. Can't we ever have anything else to eat? Are you just also sick and tired, Ash, of always having the same meal, especially if that meal is a sexually transmitted disease? I mean, absolutely. There's nothing worse than having the same meal day in, day out when you've also got crabs. It's a terrible business. Also, although I will say, Dominic Diamond, you are on a desert island. I know a bike washed up on the shore last week, but you can't expect it to be fine dining your way around this desert place. Also, you waste all those fucking pineapples on the title cards. Why don't you have one of those? Come on, mate. Sort yourself out. It's a fun little intro. And yeah. I love the I love the girls sat there looking sheepish. I just also love how quiet it is. Like there's a, you know, it opens like they have the, the, the audience clapping and then just silence and they just sit there in casual silence and Dom just looks at the camera and is like, don't you just hate it when you get the same meal every single day? Why can't we eat anything other than crabs? They gave the joke time to breathe, which I really appreciated from the perspective of comic timing. They could have gone straight into the joke while the cheers were still dying away, but it was funnier by actually just having that awkward pause. Plus, we're about to get one of my favourite uh, show titles uh, that we'll have this series. So, Girl Fridays, what is on the show? Children's presenters Carol Varley and Sarah Vandenberg untangle their undergrowth in armadillo racing. But we begin with an event called I'll Move That Gear Stick Manually, if you don't mind. I don't know what it is about I'll Move That Gear Stick Manually, if you don't mind, that really, really tickles me. I We've had a lot of the Oi, bloke, X, Y, and Z, or yeah, I, I, you know, buff my helmet to go faster. I just really, really like the 
oddness of I'll move that gear stick manually, if you don't mind. I think it's for me it's because it's innuendo, but it's also innuendo that doesn't make any sense at all. Other things like, you know, oh, buff your helmet for extra speed. Okay, I can see the progression of that statement. I'll move that gear stick manually if you don't mind. Well, if there's a gear stick, there's no other way of moving it. If it's an automatic car, there isn't a gear stick. Sometimes maybe, you know, Dom clearly just prefers to have a wank sometimes than to have sex with a girl Fridays. And that's all grand. But I do like as well, actually, that it ties into the game itself. Not just the fact that it's a driving game. It is a game where you are required to change the gears. Although some people don't seem to realise that. However, we will get to that. We will get to that. In our first challenge, what are we playing, Games Master? When I was a boy, my interest lay firmly in the acquisitions of other people's conquers. Sadly, time changed, and a new generation has emerged who are obsessed with nothing else but their lap times on the latest console racing game. Do you know, I often think about what we could do as extra value-added content, maybe writing our own book. It would be a very different book to the oral history. But one thing I would never try and do is plot out Games Master's life, because how does he play Conkers, Luke? As a younger boy. As a younger boy, as a younger disembodied head with no arms. So I guess it comes down to... Is he a young boy from like a galaxy or a planet of disembodied heads and he has traveled his way to Earth? Because he has said in the past that he hasn't done, I think it was skiing, it might have been snowboarding. He didn't do skiing. Oh, skateboarding he can't do because he's a disembodied head. But he can play conkers and he does like skiing and he does like water sports. So maybe just on his planet, they couldn't do skateboarding. And he was in the RAF. And he was in the RAF. He's, and he doesn't like chickens. But maybe he didn't like chickens. Maybe he discovered he didn't like chickens when he got here. But he knows Daleks. Well, maybe the Daleks have invaded his planet once and they fought them off. With their giant heads. Heads. Well, they're conkers, probably. <laughs> conkers <laughs> are something very different Let's from Games Master's <laughs> planet. Let's say. I mean, as long as you leave them soaking in vinegar, make them dead hard. You know what, Luke? Sometimes, only sometimes, but sometimes, I think they're making this up as they go along. Pfft, Ash, that is, that's such a ludicrous thing to say on this show. I'm not sure we can keep that in the edit. But uh, did you play Conkers when uh, you were a kid? I did play Conkers, but more often than not, uh, the one bus stop I used to stand at to go to my middle school was directly under a Conker tree. And it was in a otherwise mostly unused kind of lay-by just off of a country road. So there was me and two or three other kids that caught a bus from there. And that was it. But Luke, that means we had an entire tree of conkers to ourselves. It was amazing. But unfortunately, the whole kind of actual mechanic of playing conkers just didn't seem to happen as much. And I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why, but I can tell you this. I always used to have a lot of conkers and then they would go mushy then they'd go moldy then they'd get thrown away and then next year i'd repeat the cycle all over again i only really remember one year of them being a big thing in my school and it was like one of my last years of primary school uh maybe like the last two years maybe that conkers were just a big thing and it was like learning the tactics of uh, you know soaking them in vinegar so they become much harder and then taking them to school and trying to like you know set up conquer tournaments and whatnot but that was pretty much the last i really remember of it i, I remember though like taking them home 
and my dad drilling, my dad going to the garage, drilling holes into them, and then my mum tying the string through and everything, and then taking them to school the following day to bat EMAs with them. And I can see why they are now banned at schools. Because they're dead art, they're mates. You have someone's eye out with them. See, I love that you had this whole process of you take them home, soaked in vinegar, your dad drills the hole, probably with a power drill. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then your mum helps tie the string on. I'm fairly certain that when I was at an age when I did play Conkers, I was just given a ball of string, a pair of scissors, and a bradle. It's amazing I didn't stab myself through the hand multiple times because it's like, oh, there you go. There's a sharp, pointy thing with a handle. Put the holes in yourself. Although, in addition to the vinegar, I seem to remember not roasting them because that's a different thing to do with a different type of chestnut. But once the Sunday roast had cooked and the oven was empty, just putting them in the warm oven for a couple of hours just to Mm. dry them out. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one, actually. I think I've seen my mum do something similar to that as well. Yeah. So there are there are tactics and there are ways. But I will say, as an adult, I can't go past a conquer without just getting that slight twinge of going, I really want to pick up the conquer, particularly if it's one where it's still partly in the yes. case, still partly in the casing, and it just looks so shiny. And you're just like, oh, oh, that's probably a good seven or maybe even an eight or a nine if cared for properly. We're all magpies at heart. And, uh, and uh, you know, we've got that childhood nostalgia for them. Kids these days will just walk past and won't even know what it is. They'll just try to swipe it or something to see if it'll play a video. They'll just think it's some sort of rustic pokeball. <laughs> anyway, Gran Turismo. To reflect this troubling change in the social climate, I've challenged three of the country's champion game players to tie their hands at Gran Turismo on the PlayStation. In order to secure their place in racing the Bolivar, my contestants must negotiate the deep forest river today. A course filled to bursting with devilishly tight corners. Anyone expecting a pleasant ride in the country should leave now. Gran Turismo is the game. Uh, my brother loved Gran Turismo. Uh, my brother's really into cars. Um, at least he was sort of like in his like late teenage years. Because bear in mind, this is 1998 now, so my brother's about to turn 18. And he was really into his cars and into sort of racing and stuff. And the thing that really appealed to him about Gran Turismo was that it was a real racing sim. It was you have to be able to know how to drive a car in order to do it and he had just passed his he passed his test when he was 17 so this game was really appealing to him so when we got our playstation or well, i got my playstation uh for my birthday 1998 so i get it when i turn 13 uh he got gran turismo or it might have been gran turismo 2 by that point i can't remember when gran turismo 2 comes out but i'm pretty sure we had the first one and he absolutely loved this game but it never appealed to me And one of the reasons why it never appealed to me is the exact same reason that my brother loved it. It was too real. And I preferred a much more fun racing game. I'm much more of a Mario Kart, Diddy Kong racing, um, Roll Cage, which will be out in a couple of years' time on the PlayStation. I'm more of that side of driving games than I am super serious driving sim games, Uh, particularly if I've got to change the gears myself, because I can't be asked with that. I didn't learn to drive until I was 25. 
and that was mostly because I was just wasn't interested. I really like the first Gran Turismo. I particularly love the title sequence. You used a Chemical Brothers remix of the Manic Street Preachers, Everything Must Go. You're, you're already speaking my language then. I'm sure Dom liked it for the same reason. Fucking loves the Manics. Great band. I also played the Dickens out of Gran Turismo 2, and I think I played the hell out of the first couple of F1 games for the PlayStation. Mm. But I I think once the series hit the PS2, and even though I did own a PS2, I don't think I've owned a Gran Turismo game since then. I had Gran Turismo and Gran Turismo 2, and then 3, 4, 5, 6, Sport, 7, Concept, by Prologue, whatever, haven't haven't touched any of them. And it's, I don't even know if it's because of the realism. I just think I don't... My, my tastes have changed. Like, I still love a good racing game, and while it is much more arcadey, I love Forza Horizon. Like that, when that came out and that dropped uh, on Game Pass on the Series X, I was well into that because it's a big open world and you can get like shitty little cars and then just boost them and boost them and peak them and tune them up and make them go ludicrously fast. And then, of course, I think as once we get into the PS2 and later era, I do get more arcadey because Burnout, the Burnout series. Oh, man, I love that. Burnout 3, I was a huge fan of. Plus, Grand Theft Auto games, where you get to drive a lot and blow shit up. Yeah, exactly. This whole driving, realistic driving sim thing, it's just, it's not my bag, baby. And it's actually, funny enough, similar to how we talked about a lot in the early days of flight sims are not my bag, baby, just because I don't have any interest in playing a realistic flight sim i guess i I don't i don't want to ever fly a plane so i've got no interest in then flying a fake one i mean that's you off at least a couple of governmental watch lists because people were mad into this as well gran turismo wasn't just my brother gran turismo was a huge hit massive this game was in terms of not just like the the press coverage that it got because this was a you need to see gran turismo look how far the playstation is pushing realistic graphics or you know pushing realism within games it was a huge commercial success as well like this sold gangbuster numbers partly because of how much press it got reviews for it were great fan reviews for it were great and as you mentioned earlier like spawned into a hugely successful series for sony and i suppose you know in a way they it was the the effort that it made to make this game of which there was a lot it took a long time to make this game was well earned in the end like that hard work really paid off yeah i mean they sold in excess of 10 million copies of the game and you mentioned gran turismo 2 it was also incredibly well received and they added a whole bunch more stuff they really did just kind of like really up the ante including adding an arcade mode so it was still quite racing sim-ish but it 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 gave you some training wheels it made things a little bit easier but even that didn't quite reach the heights of the original that sold like 9.3 million or something and you know almost a million copies difference between the original and the sequel although the sequel came out in 1999 and then we're not the playstation 2 is in the future other consoles are out there other games are out there other franchises are appearing and tastes change but this is a a fairly standard challenge it's you've got to race one course i'd imagine it's probably the only course they've got access to and just complete that just mark the fastest time so i really it is a pretty standard challenge it's just slightly elevated because of the class of player 
we're going to have on this. Although having said that, I don't think it comes off as classy as perhaps they thought it might do. Okay, top notch caliber of contestants for this one. We have got the top three as finished in the Blockbuster National Games Playing Championships this year. Please welcome Ian Marshall, John Paul Roberts and Aaron Noel. Thank all you. right, Aaron. Yeah. OK, uh, let's start with you first of all. Ian, are you courting? And what's the lovely lady's name? Shirley. And how did you meet her? In a nightclub. Ah. Yeah. How, how do you, because obviously I'm a bit older than now, how does a young man dance in a nightclub then to attract a woman these days? Do you want me to show you? I would, I would mind. No, I'm not going to. John Paul, your mind's on loftier subjects. Philosophy. You're into. A bit, yeah. What is the meaning of life? To be happy, I suppose. Oh, that's good. I always thought it was something to do with pants. No, no, probably not. Uh, finally, Aaron. Uh, now, uh, as people will know throughout the series, I do have a fascination with people who fancy their friends' mums. Any of your mums tickle your fancy? I mate, Jimmy's. What has Jimmy's mum got that none of the other mums have? Um, a good personality. That's more important to you than yeah. looks and everything like that. Of course it is. You're a 90s man. Whereas myself, I'm totally unreconstructed. We have three of the country's greatest games players. They made the top three of the Blockbuster UK Games Championships playing this game. And by the general gameplay on display, you wouldn't necessarily tell it. Now, I think there were some very legitimate reasons for that. One is this game is quite new. Two, it was the first game to fully support the DualShock controller, which was still a very new concept. Three, if they haven't played this game a lot, they will be approaching it the way they'd approach a Ridge Racer or a Rage Racer. And we'll come back to that when we get into the challenge, because I think you've seen what I've seen when you've watched this challenge. You've seen tactics being applied, but it doesn't make the game look bad, but it does make the game players look a little bit bad. Because they are promoting these three lads. You're right. Like they, they were the top three in the in the blockbuster championships. That they are the three best players in the country. They are the creme de la creme of games players. And I think you're right. Like I think if you'd have put them onto a different game, a different style of racing game, we would have seen different results. But the disappointment in Rick Henderson's voice when he's doing commentary, when we get into the challenge, is quite palpable absolutely he feels they should be doing better and i can see where he's coming from because they should have had all day to get to grips with the fact that you can't do what you do in an arcadey game yeah it, it does make me wonder how much or how little they actually got to grips with playing the game and also because like they are they aren't punters off the street but they aren't like you know people who've applied to be on the show they are people that Games Master have handpicked to come onto this show because they were part of this tournament. It does also mean that they are not like particularly talkative when you interview them. Like, you know, you're doing a lot of the usual Dominic Diamond shtick of, do you have a girlfriend? Oh, you're doing philosophy, are you? Pants, uh, your mate's mum and all this sort of stuff. But they haven't really got the, the banter patter. So they are just sort of answering questions either very, very straight or in some cases, just not at all. It's a shame because Dom throws some really easy banter balls here. As you say, the first one, of course, this is Dominic Diamond in the mid to late 90s. Let's talk about girlfriends. Lad's got a girlfriend called Shirley. And Dom's like, cool. How do you dance in a nightclub nowadays? I'm old. Look at me. I've got I've got an old man style. And Ian's just like, I'm not going to show you. And I'm just like, mate, you're already on a fake beach about to biff a challenge. Drop some shapes in the house of dance. It will be a bit of a giggle. 
and Ian won't do it. He's just taking himself a bit too seriously. And you'd have thought as well, Ian would have seen it coming. Like if you'd have, because he said, you know, met as this girlfriend in a nightclub. Dom's going to ask you to dance. If you say, yeah, I'm a good dancer, he's going to ask you to dance. Surely at this point, you've seen an episode of the show. Have you heard how much Dom touts about the viewing figures? You must have seen this show. You must have known that answer was going to come, but he had almost nothing prepared for it. And he just went, nah, I'm all right. Maybe the sad truth of it is that he did meet Shirley at a nightclub and she did go out with him after seeing him dance. And it was out of pity. Oh, it could be. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. John Paul, up next. Philosophy, meaning of life. Yeah, be happy. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, he's not wrong. It's a good philosophy to have. It's a good way to go through life. I, I mean, Ash, I don't know how many times I've had to tell people who tell me they're depressed. Just be happy. Because just, 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 be, just be happy. happy. Just be happy and that'll make you feel better. And put on clean pants, which will make you happy. Yeah, well, actually, a clean pair of pants does feel much nicer than not. But it is like every time, it's every episode now, I get flashbacks to that article that you and I read before the start of Series 6, where Dominic's like, we're not doing the same jokes. I don't say pants anymore. And here we are, Series 7, it's all he ever says. Well, that and, as we often talk about Luke, his obsession with people who fancy their friend's mum. I mean, it's every week we discuss it. I can't believe that Aaron doesn't know about this. It's really funny, actually, because, you know, I, Dom just says, do you fancy any of your mate's mums? And she goes, yeah, Jimmy's mum. It's just like, if, you know, if this had been a Jean-Paul or if this had been uh, Ian, they probably would have ducked the question. But Aaron's just like, no, yeah, Jimmy's mum. Yeah, yeah, it's her. And then realizes what's happened. And it's like, because of her personality. Yeah, her 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 cracking set of personalities, <laughs> probably. I'm sure she's very nice as well. I'm sure. I'm sure she's absolutely lovely. And I bet she makes a brilliant beans on toast. But, or, or, or Finder's Crispy Pancake and chips. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But man, you Dominic talks about the viewing figures. You better hope Jimmy's not one of them. Because <laughs> otherwise, you ain't going to be seeing his mum anymore. Well, unless uh, Jimmy is well aware because everyone tells him that his mum's fit. Like, I, uh, one of my work colleagues has, has talked about this a lot. He's like, it's all I ever got when I was a teenager is your mum's well fit. Anyway, Aaron's a 90s man. There are more important things than looks. Dom is a troglodyte, basically. And he's like, yeah, I'm not a modern man. And I like as we are leading into the news here. Also, worth remembering to everyone, you should really pay attention to what he asked each of them because there will be a test later on. And I really enjoyed his uh, line. There was like, there's going to be... We're talking about basically there being many hands on Jimmy's mum's knocker as we lead into the news. Cracking set of personalities. Spice World is luring in punters nationwide, but those people who make their way to the Empire Leicester Square are getting the bonus of a free CD-ROM. Featuring puzzles and trivia questions, the CD-ROM punishes your progress with clips from the movie. With the PlayStation game still in development, the CD-ROM's the only solace on offer for Spice-mad computer owners, mad being the right word. When we did the Christmas episode, and actually the the in-between series episode that we did as well, and have covered Series 7 uh, thus far, you can see why Grumpy Dom is a little bit sick of hearing about the Spice Girls. Because they're bloody everywhere. And, you know, this introduction is not just, like, not content with having a number one album and a number one film of the cinema. You can now get a CD-ROM because the PlayStation game isn't ready yet. Yeah, apparently if you go and see it at the Empire Leicester Square, you get a CD-ROM. 
And that's not the name of a gentleman's club just around the corner in Soho. So I was there today. Um, well, the, where, what's there now? Uh, I like what Cineworld have done. I think their IMAX there is great. Um, I think a lot of people listening to this uh, will know I've got a very good relationship with Cineworld. I'm uh, one of the online faces of Cineworld because I, I make uh, videos for them for their YouTube channel. Um, and so I film a lot of the their locations as well, usually the O2, sometimes Wembley, and the Leicester Square one. And I've been to the Leicester Square one multiple times over even before I had the relationship with Cineworld because premieres are there. And when I was a film critic, I used to go down there and cover those premieres, or whether that's on the red carpet, or just attending them because it was a way for me to see the movie before it got released. So I've gone to that cinema a lot. And I their IMAX screen is very impressive. As I said, I was literally there today to go and watch the Super Mario Brothers movie, which they'd set up for me. It was very, very sweet of them. I said, like, oh, I haven't, I'm, I don't know why I'll get a chance to see it. So the guy was like, do you want to watch it Wednesday morning? And I said, oh, have you got a screening on? He said, no, but I can put it on if you want. So, so you had the cinema to yourself? The whole IMAX screen to myself. And oh, uh, yeah, he was like, yeah, just come down. I'll let you in and just you know, crack it. And he said, um, once you're done, off you pop. I was like, grand thank you very much it's only a 90 minute movie so it works out nicely but luke more importantly did they have a spice world cd-rom you could take with you <laughs> they did not no ah. uh, see, see, i know right or not even a super mario cd-rom either so i i like what cine world has done with the leicester square place however also i love fright fest being there yes and i love how fright fest takes it over it's a, it's a it's a great time i do miss the empire though mm. and i used to love Anytime I would get a ticket through for a multimedia screening or a press screening or a press event and it was being held at the Empire or when I used to go to Fright Fest when it was at the Empire and it was like, you know, screen one is at the Empire and then you'd go across to the Prince Charles to do screen two or whatever it was. I loved going to the Empire. That grand hall was always so cool. Like I've got... Brilliant memories of going to see on Fright Fest, actually, the opening day of Fright Fest, Curse of Chucky, and just being in that huge hall with that wonderful screen. And it was a beautiful, beautiful place. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. And I think that the the homogenized, everything looks the same cine world doesn't quite have the same feel and appeal that the Empire once did. So I actually did have a little bit of pang of nostalgia in this news item here with him just referring it to it as the Empire in Leicester yeah. Square and I was like oh yeah I, I miss it being the Empire yeah I mean I've been to some Fright Fest stuff there I also have been to see just some big movies there in in the in that main in screen one I saw yeah. Tron I saw Tron Legacy there that was an amazing cinema to see that in I mean okay we could go back and forth on the movie itself but just you sat there the seats are plush you look up you've got the star field in the ceiling and it was just like oh this is this feels like event cinema. And yeah, it was lovely. It's a lovely, historic... Uh, one of my favourite cinemas in the area. Top same two. Here. Yeah, Top same two here. with the Prince Charles. Absolutely, yeah. And like it, when you watched a film in the Empire, when it was the Empire before uh, you know, City World essentially knocked it down and rebuilt it from the ground up to be the IMAX, it's, uh, it really did feel like you were part of London's history. In, a, in, a, in, a, in such as like a silly way and stuff, because you see old photos of film premieres in London, like when Star Wars was being shown at the Empire, and there's that queue going around the block for people to try and get in. And you can see, or, you know, I can picture exactly where that is. Some of that, you, when, when you sat in that screen, you felt like you were part of London history. 
And some of that is missing now, which I think is a real shame. It's one of it's why I'm also a big proponent of the Prince Charles Cinema, because it has kept hold of what makes the Prince Charles Cinema such a special place. Yeah, absolutely. It, for better or for worse, it is as, it is as unchanged as possible. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Sometimes for worse. Also, first place we met. It was, yeah, at the Red Dwarf screening. Yeah, yeah, there we go. First, pl- first place we met in person. In person, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Spice World CD-ROM, if you really want to check it out, you can download it off of archive.org because someone's stuck it up there for posterity or something. Nice day for a ride to hell. This spring, it sees a touch of comedy reaching the world of motion theatre rides in the form of Mad Racers, where surreal cartoon characters race their way through a series of life-endangering landscapes to a soothing death metal soundtrack. It's also won an award recently for being the best kind of this thing in the world or something. This second news item really took me back, speaking of nostalgic feelings, Series 4. Do you remember when like motion rides were the big thing in Series 4 and it felt like Dom always wanted to have these news items in there. It's like, oh, these are really cool. Like, yeah, it's amazing. We're doing like, you know, and I think that's because the intro was done by motion ride people. In fact, a lot of the motion rides we were shown were made by the same people <laughs> yeah, the that same made people. The, uh, the the opening for Games Master Series 4. Yeah, which is probably why Dom liked them so much. But it, it was, uh, I feel here, he's just slightly sniffier about them, just to being like, yeah, it's another one. If you want to go, if you're into that sort of thing, I'm not really anymore. It's kind of like post-apocalyptic wacky racers with a death metal soundtrack. It won awards. That's, uh, yeah. that's it. It, it. It was an award-winning motion ride thing and amazingly can still be purchased or rented by motion ride operators today yeah i because i actually went i was doing some searching and i saw this place and it went oh you can watch a preview of it and you click on it and it's like contact us for preview and rates and i'm like oh wow you're still selling this shit okay speaking of selling shit people who like to juggle while playing quake rejoice because u.s company biocontroller come up with a hands-free controller system for the pc the system's sensors can be safely strapped onto various parts of the body, allowing the players complete control of games using only their eyes, head and fingers. Mind you, you will look like a git. I wonder if we can bring back Yuri Geller for this one, see if he can operate this game to play Quake. Uh, because I would... Uh, I mean, I'm not a betting man, but I, I'd, I'd be fairly confident in placing a bet on this lad is not playing Quake. Yeah, the bio-controller hands-free system for the PC... Various sensors on various parts of your body, allowing you to control the game with your eyes, head and fingers. Now, don't get me wrong. Nowadays, controls like this are amazing, especially for making games accessible to people. Special effect, that entire organization and the things they facilitate. Uh, Microsoft and Sony have done adaptive controllers that can be used with all sorts of inputs and sensors. And it's absolutely amazing and beautiful but this is a janky piece of shit they have got a long way to go to before they get to where we are today and this is about half a step away from a kid wearing a headset shouting bang yeah i mean this is basically more it's it's not even a step up it's just a sidestep from the mind drive yeah like like the finger the finger gesture thing is probably the most likely to work properly and that's because at least part of it is kind of based on technology that was already being used in the Power Glove. I love the Power Glove. It's so bad. It is so bad. And so is this. Plus, you'll look like a git. <laughs> 
it's an A-plus news story just for them saying the word git. Absolutely. In fact, this news section, not to skip ahead to the end of the episode, but for a news section that contains absolutely nothing newsworthy, this is a really fun news section. Because yeah. it is three, these are kind of shit news articles, but they're a bit of a giggle. OK, we've got a great challenge today. We've got the top three as finished in the Blockbuster National Games Playing Championships. They're going to compete on the Gran Turismo on the PlayStation. Whoever gets the fastest lap in the Deep Forest level will win. Rick Henderson, Hello. what kind of car are they driving? Well, they're actually driving the Griffiths 500 Blackpool B340. Unbelievably. What kind of car is that? It's a TVR. It's the fastest car, actually, in this game. Right. Yeah. OK. I've never heard of it. Um, what, what kind of time will you be looking for then? What's a good time? Well, we're actually looking for around under 1.30, 1 minutes 30. If they get a 1.20, I think they've won. Well, someone who's not going to be having a giggle is Rick Henderson, who is in the booth. And I think off the bat, you can tell, A, Rick really likes his cars. But B, Rick really likes this game. And I think he is, you know, you listen to him at the start of this challenge in the intro versus how he sounds by the time the third player has finished. And he is a crushed Rick Henderson. There's almost part of me that feels like this was his challenge. This was his idea. We should put this on the show. We'll get this. It'll be absolutely awesome. And that enthusiasm is just chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. And the challenge is simple fastest time wins it is the the simplest of races and rick says oh they're driving a griffiths 500 blackpool v340 it's a tvr fastest car in the game and dom just immediately sticks a pin in the balloon and goes never heard of it fuck you and your research <laughs> i wondered if they were he was going to make like a i don't know a mini metro joke or something or you know like uh, oh he's got a ford focus and or whatever but no he doesn't even go that he's just like no nah, i've never heard of it mate but Time-wise, we should be looking for under 1 minute 30, under 120, and they've definitely won. So no real pressure. Uh, I do also love that the monitor for this challenge is in kind of a gazebo, a wooden gazebo slash lean-to shed. It does look like they're staring into a toilet. <laughs> I'm sure that's the look they were going for. It's the last series, Luke. <laughs> so like, they've structured this very well. John Paul is up first. And he came third in the tournament. So we're sort of taking a ranking order. So he's going to set the time. And then Ian, who came second, will go up first. And Aaron, who won the tournament, will go last. So John Paul goes up first here. And, you know, they're like, don't worry about his position on the field. That doesn't matter. It's all about the lap time. But immediately we see the problem with all three of these players. And Rick highlights this. He's not changing gears. He goes up to second and pretty much stays in second until Rick says he's not changing gears, that he goes up to third and then just stays in third throughout the entire track. So he's not getting his optimum speed, and he's also not getting an optimum line either. And as you said earlier, he, he's not playing it like it's a driving simulator. He's playing it like it's an arcade racer. He's got the optimum line if you are playing Ridge Racer and you're going to drift through a corner because... The way they're tapping the brakes, the way they're working the steering in the brakes, he's trying to drift around those corners using the Ridge Racer techniques. And he's trying to do it on a controller he may not be 100% familiar with because the dual shock is still relatively new. I mean, this is the first game that fully supports it. So, ooh, it's a, it's a, it's a ropey old start and it does not make this game 
all these players look great. Yeah, he gets to the first checkpoint in 30 seconds. Then he's at one minute eight for the second checkpoint. Well, one, pin, one, one minute zero eight for the second checkpoint. And Rick just sounds so unimpressed. 30 seconds to drop out of the first checkpoint. That's not immensely great. And going up on the bank there was certainly the wrong move for him. And I'm there watching it being like, but it's okay because he came third in this tournament. We have a nice little escalation here. Rick's very unimpressed with him. He ends after crashing into a wall with 1 minute 26.254. So it is under the 130 that Rick said would be good, but it is not exactly close to that 120 mark that I think Rick was hoping for. And Rick, damning with faint praise, says, well, he did better than he did in practice. (laughs) But again, Ash, it's fine. He came third. It's all about the escalation. Hopefully, when Ian goes up next, he'll be better. He wheel spins off the start, still manages to get into first, and also then tries to power slide around the corners. Yeah, I mean, when he gets that ropey start, you can almost hear a sigh from Rick Henderson, like, okay, fair enough, he's also not that great at this. And I'd I'd imagine he was probably aware of it, because like he mentioned earlier, he'd seen them in practice. And Ian gets to the first checkpoint at... 31 seconds. So he's already behind the time that John Paul set. He's also weaving and bobbing all over the place, which is making it harder for him to get that racing line around the corner. He's like your dad trying to swat a wasp while driving down the motorway. And much like John Paul's track, Rick starts talking about the gears. So he bumps up to go to the gears. The problem is then he tries to take all of his corners in fourth gear. And that's not exactly the way to get around a corner. Not even even in real life, particularly on this game. It's a little bit painful to watch this. I know. I mean, I've written here, it's like, he bumps up to fourth, it doesn't pay off, and he goes too fast into the turn, and he takes it horribly. Somehow, though, he does end up two seconds ahead of John Paul at the second checkpoint, because he's at 1.06, and then ends his run at 1 minute 23.956. So he is ahead, and he's ahead by about, you know, three seconds, three-ish seconds. So cool. That's our little escalation there. He's now in first place. And if the escalation continues, it is not unfeasible that Aaron could improve by another two seconds, and then we're getting very close to that one minute 20 that Rick mentioned. Absolutely. And Aaron's in a good position to do this because his car is red. <laughs> Aaron has opted for red, a colour that signifies danger and passion. And theoretically, he is the best player in this country because of his red car, which is way better than the limp yellow one that Ian was driving. He spins on the start, and then rather than use the handbrake to try and drift, he does tap the regular brakes to temper the corners. Unfortunately, this backfires. He overcompensates with the steering, and he makes it past the first checkpoint a second off Ian's time. He is currently doing so badly that he is the first of our players to get overtaken by a computer-controlled car. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not great. And like the, the groaning and the, the annoyance of, of Rick Henderson because he's taking corners so, so poorly. And yeah, 32 seconds that first checkpoint. He's two seconds behind John Paul's time that he set early doors and rick's just rick at one point goes that's very bad indeed like that is that is 
That's very poor. There, if he uses the handbrake, of course, he might not have skidded straight into... Oh, that was Oh, dreadful. no, that's going to slow him down as he comes to the first checkpoint. One, 32 seconds at the first checkpoint. He's a second off of Ian Marshall's record-setting pace. That is really quite bad indeed, Dan. Like, that is his summation of this challenge. We get to the second checkpoint. He's at 1.10, so it's not really going that great for him at all. He's actually still behind John Paul. And he ends coming last with 127.797. The escalation did not quite pan out. And Ian Marshall is the winner, not by being the best, but just by not being the worst. Okay, Aaron, let's start with you there. Uh, I mean, the second half of the race especially, it didn't quite go to plan. What, what went wrong? Um, can't really say. It's not my day today, so... Too busy thinking about Jimmy's mum, I think, possibly. <laughs> uh, John Paul, uh, a good performance. You were actually the fastest over, over that first part of the course. Again, it was the, the second half that went wrong with you, wasn't it? Just a couple of knocks, really, yeah. Yeah, well, I've got to be philosophical about it. Uh, I like that one. Uh, and uh, Ian, finally, well, look, I was there at the National Championships and I saw Aaron edging you out in the final. You got revenge today, though? Yeah, my dad. So uh, you can dance a little celebratory jig. I think Aaron expected himself to do better on the day. He's got nothing to say in this post-match. Really has got no words. That's all right. Dom's got plenty. He was thinking about having a wank about Jimmy's mum. There we go. There you go. I mean, he went so quiet. I thought the emergency broadcast was going to kick in. (laughs) (laughs) Jean-Paul, who was the fastest on the first half, he just fell apart on the second. A few knocks threw him off. He's very philosophical about it, Luke. Yeah, okay, so we've had Jimmy's mum. We've had philosophy. I wonder what's going to come back here when we speak to Ian. Well, apparently Dominic was at the championships and he saw Aaron edge Ian out of the final. So is this revenge today? Certainly. And maybe he can do a little dance in celebration. And Dom immediately breaks any semblance of a fourth wall by pointing out that he's brought in what they were talking about at the beginning, thus bringing the conversation full circle. Top tip for broadcasters of the future. And then, you know, I wonder if he's directing that at Danny Bear because she's about to come up in a second. I also wonder if Dominic was hosting that event. You know, in the book, they talk. he talks a lot about how he was brought in to do a lot of those sort of appearances and stuff. Doing the Blockbuster Gaming Championship sounds like the sort of thing that someone must have contacted his agent about to find out his rate for it. Well, Luke, I've just done a quick bit of searching, which will be neatly edited out because that's another top tip for broadcasters of the future, edit stuff. And I found an interview with one Stuart Morrison, who took part in this Blockbuster Championship. And I can tell you that Dominic Diamond did not appear to host it, but was there because Stuart mentions in this interview that one of the things that he cherished the most out of competing in this championship was getting Dominic Diamond to sign a book of sports cafe matches for him. And he also managed to nick a fag off Dom and talk to him about Channel 4 and how they were planning to f*** up his show. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. There were apparently Newsround reporters there as well, and Joe Guest, who was getting a lot of attention because of her cracking set of personalities. The official British computer games champion is Aaron Knoll from South London. He beat 10,000 other entrants in the competition to win a trip to San Francisco. I'll take my mum. Does she approve of games like this? Sometimes. Like, if I'm winning things, she does. Like, she's happy for me. But, like, she's like, you spend too much time on the computer and all this, and I just go, well, it's paid off now, hasn't it? So, she'll be happy. 
For Noel, the game may have proved easy. Right, let me get you past the For others, though, they found it a little more difficult than it looked. I've not gone past this stage. I've not got past the penguin yet. <laughs> oh, oh, spin, jump. <laughs> but Ian gets his joystick and a peck on the cheek, although he's the one initiating the peck on the cheek, which feels a little weird. The Girl Fridays don't look uncomfortable, they just look kind of like, normally this goes the other way round. Maybe that's part of its dance moves. While the rest of us are gently caressing Lara Croft to greater heights, there's always going to be somebody who prefers wandering around manor houses in a frilly shirt. If you're one of these people, Nightmare Creatures is up your alley. Now the word goth normally has people running for the hills screaming, but this is actually rather good. A deeply engrossing and really rather scary little adventure game. A Victorian Gothic horror. What more could you ask for on PlayStation? It's incredibly playable and it's basically a cross between Tomb Raider and Resident Evil. Now, the obvious comparison straight away with Nightmare Creatures is going to be Tomb Raider. Now, there are some big differences between the two. Tomb Raider is more platforming. This is more adventure-based. Tomb Raider is more puzzle-based. Nightmare Creatures is more combat-based. The combat system itself is quite simplistic, but it's very easy to play, and I actually find it quite satisfying. The game moves pretty fast. I mean, there's a serious pace to it. Lots of box smashing, creature annihilating, mayhem all round. Nightmare Creatures does itself a lot of favours by having a huge playing area coupled with a very good learning curve. You'll get into it easily and want to play again and again. A friend of mine absolutely loved Nightmare Creatures. He thought this game was rad. He got it on a demo disc for, with official PlayStation magazine, got the game, and kept telling me, he was like, it's the coolest game. It's so cool. I never loved it. Um, it wasn't really my deal. Uh, but I, I, I kind of got why my friend liked it, but he really, really liked it. I, I thought it was totally fine uh but yeah i don't think it was a bad game i mean it is technically a survival horror game i would also say it's a bit more hack and slash than most survival horror games it's very much a uh, simplistic combat system repetitive combat system maybe another set of words that could be levied at it but it was also quite successful i mean we're seeing the playstation version being reviewed here it also came out for windows and nintendo 64 it even got a sequel and a mobile phone port, which is a weird thing to happen in 2003. There was meant to be another sequel, but that was cancelled. I don't actually know why. But it was it was quite a desired game, not just by the public, but by publishers. There were apparently a fair few bidding wars between publishers to pick this up and put this out, possibly because they saw the parallels that it could draw to Tomb Raider and Resident Evil a comparison that actually holds up, unlike previous comparisons. And Activision were the ones that picked it up in the end. It was published by Activision in North America, and Sony Computer Entertainment themselves put it out in Europe. Sold about 1.5 million units within its first two, three years of sales, which feels small compared to Gran Turismo, which we talked about. But 1.5 million is still nothing to be sniffed at. One of the reviews that really jumped out to me when I was uh, sort of reading up about this and doing some research was the Entertainment Weekly uh, review of this game, uh, who gave it a B- minus and praised it for its 3D environments. But the reason why it jumped out to me is because it's got a... It is also aged like a fine murder. It basically was, this game is better than Castlevania Symphony of the Night because that game is dated and flat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm sure that review will hold up uh, in the cold, hard lights of day. Um, there was also going to be a film version of it as well, but uh, it never really got much further than ever being, just being announced. Not a chapter on it in your book. There is no, there is not a, a chapter on it. Actually, I mean, maybe I'll look into it a little bit more, see if I can find, dig around. But I'd imagine it's probably just someone purchased the rights and then they lapsed six months later and then nothing ever came of it. The actual Games Master review is pretty good. Richard starts off by saying the word goth normally has people running for the hills screaming, which gets a real sideways glance from Rob. Like, Rob's like, what the fuck are you on about? You get the impression where Rob is on a Friday and a Saturday night, like, and, and his sense of music and his sense of style and stuff. I think he is in that goth era. And and I, I'd imagine Richard's not that far off either. He's off to Slime Lights or he's down the dev in Camden. He knows his way around the goth night spots. Absolutely he does. And yeah, I love the little look that he gives there. And you're right, he also mentioned the, the comparison of Tomb Raider and Resident Evil. And it is does feel like when you watch this the you know the gameplay and stuff it's apropos it looks like tomb raider but it also looks like resident evil because it is dark and it's got creepy crawlies and and ooky spooky scary skeletons and stuff and i could imagine that's quite an appealing thing and i also like you know rob goes into some really good detail here being like yeah sure you could look at this and say it looks like tomb raider but Tomb Raider's more of a platform game. This is more of an adventure game. Tomb Raider's more about puzzles, but this one's more about combat. I think this is one of the best reviews that that Richard and Rob have done together on the show. Yeah, I'm. I mean, Richard chips in by stating that he enjoys the combat system, even though it's quite simplistic. And I think what he means by that is it's it connects. You know how sometimes just button mashing can be quite therapeutic if you. Feel the connections. It was like one of my favorite things about playing old arcade games like Final Fight was when you had like a decent amount of bass in the cabinet. So you kind of do a slam move as Mike Hagar or something, or you hit a spinning kick and you feel the impact. It wasn't complicated gameplay, but it was satisfying gameplay. Mm. Same with WrestleFest, WWF WrestleFest. When you did a big body slam or you threw someone out of the ring in a rumble, satisfying simplistic combat. How well it holds up over a 20 to 30 hour game, though, that's that's a separate question and not one these guys can answer, because as we know, they don't get that long to play the games. No, they do not. But 90% overall, not terrible. No, it's all right there. I think that's done very, very well for itself. Hooray! It's got a swear word in the title. It features animals chewing each other's legs off. It is Bloody Roar on the PlayStation. It's just been very popular with beat em ups at the moment to have a power bar and in most games, you reach a certain level on the power bar and you're suddenly able to pull off wicked combos or special moves or whatever. In this instance, your power bar builds up and what you're able to do is turn into another creature. It makes you wonder whether beat-em-up can go next. This is a very outlandish addition to the genre, but still, I'd prefer to see this than yet another Street Fighter clone. It could have probably done with more moves here and there thrown in and a bit of a tighter control mechanism, but nevertheless, this is still a Class A prime example of a decent beat-em-up. And it, same with Bloody Raw here. I mean, it gets 84% and a pretty decent write-up from Richard and Rob, you know, despite the fact that sort of talking about how it's kind of... I mean, they're, they're, and it gets a decent write-up from Richard and Rob as well, mostly because it doesn't feel like just another Street Fighter clone, as, as they put it. Although I'd imagine because it's a 3D fighting game, you'd have thought they might have gone more Tekken or uh, Virtual Fighter. But no, they are saying like, hey, I'd much rather this than another Street Fighter clone. And this is the new gimmick that it has. 
when your power meter gets full, you don't get a special move, you turn into an animal instead. Interesting release cycle for this game because it was an arcade game originally. It got released in July of 1997. The Japanese PlayStation version only came out in November 97. So that's a very quick turnaround. Mm. Almost, I guess, the games were being developed in parallel. The American version, though, actually came out before the Japanese home version. That came out in October. Over here in Europe... March 1998. So I would guess at the time they were recording this, they were either reviewing a preview PAL copy or more likely than not a North American copy. I think it's probably an import copy they've got, yeah. And if it had been released under its original title as well, Dominic wouldn't have been so pleased with it either because he likes the fact that it's got a swear in its title. But originally it was just going to be called Beasterizer, which while does sound quite cool, is not going to tickle Dom's fancy. I don't think it sounds quite cool. I think it sounds like a bad attempt. Like, do you remember how we had Power Rangers and then we had VR Troopers? We are VR. And Big Bad Beetleborgs. And Beasteriser sounds like another attempt by Saban to try and capitalize on the mighty morphing popularity of like, what else can we turn into an Americanized Japanese show? Let's take this other property and call it Beasterizers. Yeah, it, it, it's not quite as cool of a title as Bloody Raw. And Bloody Raw really does stick in the mind as well. And it, it really evokes a, a, a feeling. Whereas like Beasterizer almost sounds like just like a, a bad spin-off from Animorphs. And I played quite a bit of Bloody Raw because a friend of mine had it. And um, he he really dug it, actually. So I played quite a bit of it as his. I don't think I've really got into much of the sequels because it got a handful of sequels, I think. Mm. Um, up until sort of about the PlayStation 2 era. Did it go in any further than that? Like, I don't feel like I've heard from Bloody Roar in a while. It did get re-released, and I think its sequels got re-released at various times on the PlayStation Network. However, I don't know if that still extends to today. I should have thought to look. I've got a PlayStation 5 at my feet. I could have checked, but I know it was released in the PS3 era. Um, I I remember playing a bit of Bloody Roar. I don't think I played a huge amount of it. I do love its full title, Bloody Roar Hyper Beast Duel, because that sounds so Japanese. Yeah. It, it just, it's got that kind of like, I can hear the Street Fighter type announce voice going, Bloody Roar Hyper Beast Duel. The only thing is missing is Hyper Beast Jewel Go. <laughs> 84%. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good score. I really like Rob's closing line of it, which is that, you know, tighter controls might have helped, but it's a class A beat em up. Not every game has to be a Street Fighter beater. Not every beat em up has to be a Street Fighter beater. They just need to keep you entertained until the next Street Fighter beater comes along. Yeah, and we'll have another one of those coming up later on in the show. There we go. Now, I'll tell you what, we look after the celebrities on this show. We cater for their every eccentricity with our lavish entertainment budget, sometimes allowing them two sugars in their cup of tea. I appreciate that that Games Master often like to, you know, really push the boat out. No pun intended with this set, of course. Um, When it comes to looking after their celebrities, by even stretching the budget to two sugars within their tea. However, I would not need it. If I was a celebrity on Games Master, I would just go in there and be like, don't need it, mate, save your pennies, because I don't need any sugar in me tea, thank you very much. I'd probably just drink water. What, from the set? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just go there, just like move the cables out of the way. Just it's probably got as glass. much caffeine in it at this point <laughs> as, as tea or coffee. And Plus, fag you know, ashes, probably. F- fag ash. 
um, child urine, pineapple <laughs> juice. <laughs> I imagine there's been a couple of phlegmy hocks in there at times as well. Yeah. As long as they're keeping those kids there, I suppose. I, I would not be I would not be asking for the sugars. And I'll be honest, the main thing I would reason I wouldn't be having teas or coffees whilst on a set is they are diuretics, Luke. Oh, of course. And you're gonna have the little like butterflies in your tum tum anyway. You don't wanna yeah. be playing with fire. Otherwise you'll be adding your own tinkles to the water. <laughs> for someone else to swig up into a pint glass. Go full on bear grills. Anyway, well, let's get into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Today's celebrity challenge is on one of the most obscure arcade games I've ever encountered. Armadillo Racing. Taking the part of a small South American mammal, contestants must race to the finishing line whilst avoiding the many obstacles Armadillos are controlled by furiously rolling the trackball and getting up a good speed will allow the little critters to curl themselves into a ball and bounce opposition out of the way. My two contestants will play as the red and blue armadillos in the best of three lap contests. It's a weird one, but I think it should be fun. Hot dickens, this game looks like fun. Yeah, it does a little bit, doesn't it? This looks like a proper Hastings arcade game. This is like if I walked into an arcade down in Hastings and I saw this, I would not be surprised because this proper looks like throw a 50p in, throw the roller ball up and down and try and like, you know, get enough speed, roll into the ball. It looks like it's a good amount of fun. You can see why it's featured on the show. Other than that, I think they were also hoping that maybe they might have had some uh, some some lower cut dresses on for for our uh, guests to be wearing. They're children's TV presenters, mate. That ain't happening. Yeah, I mean, you got lucky a couple of weeks back, I guess. Lucky in terms of what you were after. But uh, here, much more conservative, although also contemporary, I've been told. I mean, just a note on Armadillo Racing itself. It actually came out in 1996 in Japan. So this is a game that has been around a while. Uh, You could have up to four players total. You could get two of the two-player cabinet setups and link them together. Player one would be red. A colour that signifies danger and passion. Player two would be blue. Player three would be yellow. And player four would be green. And there were two different courses. It did have a unique feature other than the giant trackball in that, and this is something they don't really make a big deal of in this challenge, is that technically your racing armadillo could die. Wow. You had to watch the armadillo's heart rate. If their That's heart rate what got that too is. Yeah. If their heart rate got too high, they could have heart attacks and die. I've got to imagine then Dominic did not know that. Because I would have thought Dominic would have leapt on that something fierce to uh, and make some jokes out of it and stuff or even try to push them into killing one of the armadillos on on screen i wonder you know you get the various dip switches and command switches when you boot up an arcade machine i wonder if there is one that the setting just is like disable heart attacks and when they were getting it set up and derek was plugging the extension lead in he was like yeah let's just let's just switch that off otherwise we could just end up with a complete no contest because both armadillos are dead i'm sure don would have also very much appreciated that as well now in olden days if you were a children's television presenter you didn't have to be particularly attractive as john noakes successfully demonstrated nowadays though it's a different kettle of particularly attractive fish as tonight's celebrity guests will prove please welcome from itv scratchy and co carilla varley and from the bbc's finny booked 
Sarah Vandenborg. Welcome to the show, Carol. Welcome back, Sarah. Yes. Now, uh, for research purposes on this show, we often get celebrities' agents to send us details about them. They're often hysterical. Uh, such are these two. Now, Carol, you have a deep, dark, secret double life. Because you are, and it says here, not all over Europe as dance music sensation Ginny. Ugh, I hate that, I hate that. Can't you just scrub that out there? But it's true, yeah. I used to be a singer called Ginny. Uh -huh. Had a hit called Keep Warm. But it was keep years warm. and years ago. What was, what was the kind of chorus of that then? You must know. Keep, keep, keep warm. Keep, keep warm. It was, it was oh, a big keep, hit. Keep, keep you warm. The yeah. Star Wars song. I remember, I remember <laughs> that one. That was good. And also, and the, final, the final one, and this is great, um, <laughs> Carol's thoroughly contemporary looks. Yes. What's, what's contemporary looks? This. As opposed, what's, like a, what's an old-fashioned look then? Is that an old-fashioned look then? But Don remembers a time in the olden days when you didn't have to be attractive to be a children's TV presenter and he takes a shot at John Noakes and I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's harsh because Rod Hull is right there. You know, Rod Hull and Emu, Emu was the looker, but John Noakes was a nice, John Noakes was a lovely guy. He was a guy. nice chap, he was a nice chap, but maybe he just thought that Rod Hull was too, too easy of a swipe to take. But I thought it was terribly unfair. However, nowadays, it's a different kettle of particularly hot fish. So we have ITV versus BBC. Yes, we've got Carol Valley from Scratchy and Co, a show that's names rings bells, but I couldn't tell you much about it. And we keep a date with Katie Kaboom at 11. Massive is so big that we thought we'd change the name to something even bigger, like Massiver or most Massivist. Then we thought, no, we'll keep it modest, just plain old simple Massive, five past 11. Yeah, but we've got 3T and Boyzone. That's pretty big, isn't it? Mm. Reg, I, I don't mean to be rude, but uh, what happened to your teeth? Tooth fairy stole them. And did you get a nice, bright, shiny 50 pence piece for them? <laughs> nah, just an IOU. Uh, well, our menu also consists of a portion of competitions marinated in gags served with a side order of guests. And Gail will be putting your crazy plans into action. Why? Because here on Scratchy & Co, anything's possible. Starting with all these letters here, these people have written in asking if they can be in our audience. <laughs> Gail, I, I don't mean to be picky, but uh, we don't have an audience. Aha, but we do now. And returning guest to Games Master, although that's not really made a big deal of until Sarah brings up later. But yes, yeah, Sarah Vanderberg, who we last saw in episode two of series four playing Dragon the Bruce Lee story against uh, Dan Folsen. And it's funny because that one was pitched as Neighbours versus Home and Away. And here, we, she's in another challenge being pitched as BBC versus ITV. Uh, let's, let's go into you now, Sarah. Over here, with, with all due respect to Bruce, Neighbours is, is seen as slightly superior to Home and Away. Why is that, do you think? Bruce is, Bruce is nodding in agreement there, actually. <laughs> You're never doing that. Um, I, I think it's because it's, it was the first one to come out and we had Kylie and Jason. Yep. I think that's the reason. And Helen Daniels. Oh, cool. With an amazing heart attack, which made a mouth turn go like that, and that was all it did. Um, anyway, on to you, Dan. This challenge is considerably better although does also include identical protagonists with just a slight colour shift, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, 
that she has clearly got a type of game. And it involves, in this case, armadillos. So Dominic brings up something that is still into effect in this day. A friend of mine uh, actually used, this was her job for, for quite some time until she decided that it was uh, uh, soul-destroying and demoralizing, as she hated doing it. But writing up cheat sheets for presenters on light entertainment shows, like she used to go to a lot of The One Show or Sunday Brunch, that sort of thing, with a, you know, a star of a TV show that she is currently promoting and she would work with the star to write down, here are some interesting questions you can ask about me. And you would hand it to the presenters, and the presenters then would ask them. It's the format of Graham Norton, all Graham Norton shows. When actors are like, oh, I can't believe you brought that up. Oh, you got brought that Instagram post. It's because they provided it. This is, this is exactly how the TV show works. I like the fact that Dominic just brings it up, and he's just like, here you go. These are what I've been given to ask you. And credit to both of them. They both still play it up like they weren't expecting it. I do think in the case of Carol, she genuinely really wouldn't, she genuinely would rather the Ginny thing was not bought up. Like, I don't care if her agent or a PR person put it on the cheat sheet. I get the feeling that she would just rather that part of her life was just ignored because like, she wasn't even the first Ginny. Like, there were multiple Ginnies. There was the original one that sang the song and then there was the various ones that did the live performances, the TV performances, so on and so forth. And yeah, that so, so it is kind of a bit of a weird Milli Vanilli type miming situation. And I can't imagine her wanting that brought up. Whether a publicist thinks the same, I don't know. But her irritation did seem a little bit legitimate. I don't know. Like, I've seen that performance before of like, oh, I can't believe you brought that up. I really wish that wouldn't come up. Because I I think at this point as well, the the confusion around where she stood within Ginny is probably not not known. The song had come out like a handful of years earlier. And it was quite funny, like when I was, you know, clicking through things, because you find the Wikipedia page for the song and it's like, oh, yeah, and it was uh, sung by Carol Valley. And then you click into Ginny and it's like, oh, and Ginny was fronted by lip-syncer Carol Valley. And you're like, oh, so she didn't sing on it. Then you find some other articles. They were like, there's huge controversy and confusion about, did she sing it? Did she not? People have analyzed the vocals because it remixes a previous song. It couldn't have been her or it couldn't have been her for the majority of the time. But she was, you know, she was the face of the music video. And she was she did perform it live on TV, but I was also performing live on a TV when all songs were lip synced on TV. Like some of the pops was all lip synced. So yeah, I, I thought it was like quite an interesting sort of like click through, and it was like each step brought you a new level of uh, I don't think it was her. It's a little rabbit hole to fall down. I do not think she sang. In fact, I would say ninety nine percent. She did not sing on the original release because it did sample from a 1987 track. She would not have been on that 1987 track. That was Voices in the Dark. But she gives us a quick burst of the chorus anyway, which, again, she almost feels like she's doing that through gritted teeth. But then comes to the bit which I think wasn't meant to be brought up as a topic. It was more meant to be, you could mention how she looks, you could mention her style, but Dom just reads it verbatim and goes, you've got, apparently, thoroughly contemporary looks. 
That is not a statement that is meant to be read out as part of an interview. No, absolutely not at all. She's just like, yeah, of course I have. Look, it's what's a contemporary look? But it's this. What is what? it? And she goes, you. You. <laughs> <laughs> That was totally great. That, that well. was a beautiful moment, and they are having fun. I was going to say, also, in in fairness to uh, to Dom, um, you know, the original release of the single only charted sixty eighth, so the re release did did better, granted. And I was thinking, when I went back and I listened to it again, I was like, why do I remember this song? Because I don't, I don't, I don't seem to have like like I don't remember it being released or anything like that, or hearing it on the radio. Uh, and then I do what I always do whenever I recognise a dance track, but can't think of where it's from i google the very best of euphoric old school breakdown and check out the track listing and sure as shit, there it is side two track 15 Ginny's keep warm there you go uh sarah yours is even worse <laughs> <laughs> obviously well we still remember you from the days as lauren carpenter and mm. neighbors now you appeared on lots of different australian television shows as a result including Hey, hey, it's Saturday. Yeah. What was that like? What was that it show? It rivals Noel's house party. Oh, it's like that kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. So it's a quality show. Uh-huh. When we come to Sarah, who, you know, as we've mentioned, has previously been on this show, she's no longer uh, Lauren from Neighbours. Uh, but they talk about her other show that she had in Australia, which was Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. Great title. That is a brilliant title for a TV show. And she just says, oh, yeah, it really rivaled Noel's house party. And then there's just a bit of a pause. And I was like, quality show then. I was like, Dominic Diamond. How, how, how bloody dare you? She is doing that show a disservice comparing it to Noel's house party because Hey Hey Saturday in Australia ran for ages. Like, we're talking almost 30 years, over 500 episodes. Noel's House Party made it for like three to four years and, I don't know, 50 episodes or something. But yeah, 500 episodes, absolutely insane. But the question is, Ash, did Hey Hey It's Saturday have a number one single? No, but they did make a movie. Hmm. Suppose, in a way, that is almost more impressive because while Noel's house party did have their number one single they also had two failed theme parks so yeah maybe you could make the argument that hey hey it's saturday was more impressive than Noel's house party but i don't like any Noel's house party slander uh hanging about on this show oh man we're probably reaching the end of the series at just the right time then but no they made a 45 minute feature film called silence oh, of okay, the so it's, so it's, okay so it's not a proper film then hey they made it in seven days yeah i was gonna say i made a 45 minute movie i wouldn't say that i made a film was your movie called silence of the hams no it was it was, actually no, not too dismal. it's good the bad and the undead so it, I'm, I'm going i'm going for i'm going for a similar style of uh of punnage was your movie also a tribute to the film casablanca <laughs> I did not have any Casablanca references in mind, no. I mentioned last week, and we sort of had a bit of a discussion about it, the idea of you know shows being in two halves because we literally have an ad break in the middle of it. Did you make the same note as me on this, which is 18 minutes in and we get our ad break? That's it, yeah. Literally 17 minutes and 24 seconds of this show is the first half of it. There's only seven minutes left of this show when you get into, into the second half. And I, it was that moment of like, yeah, this show is, it's front-loaded. And I kind of like it for that as well, but it is so front-loaded that you don't really think about it until you look at the timestamps. You're like, bloody hell, 17 minutes in and we're getting the first ad break. 
It buggers the ad placement for us. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we ruminate more about uh, television what legends and uh, prepare to play possibly the most fantastic game in the history of Games Master. You guys could take a quick commercial break. Guess how many people are on a credit blacklist in this country would have trouble getting a mortgage? What? A few thousand? A couple of hundred thousand? Actually, it's eight million. One in four of the population. Something not quite right here. I mean, that's like saying everyone who watches the cup final is non-credit worthy. You what? Or even everyone who uses the M25 every month. I beg your pardon? Do you think they're trying to tell us something? Don't take no for an answer. For mortgages and remortgages, call The Money Store on 0800 731 9494. The Money Store. Credit where it's due. New L'Oreal Kids. L'Oreal. <laughs> Gentle shampoo. L'Oreal. Tear free. It's new L'Oreal Kids. Tough on tangles. Beautiful hair. L'Oreal. It's so beautiful. New L'Oreal Kids Shampoo. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I caught her again the other day. We like to listen to each other's breathing, she said. She's never off the phone to him. Jumps a mile every time it rings. I suppose it's healthy. She just seems so... Young. We had a bit of a set too the other morning. We both had a cry and a cuddle. Then the phone rang. 
apparently he's moving to America. I don't know whether I'm happy or sad. Barclay card. One card, a million uses. Shampoo after shampoo, hair colour can fade. I find the right shampoo, I keep my colour longer. Introducing new L'Oreal LV UV filter shampoo for coloured hair. Its colour care conditioning formula protects the hair from root to tip. That's why my colour stays truer, longer. My hair soft and shiny with rich, longer lasting colour. New L'Oreal LV UV filter shampoo from L'Oreal, worldwide number one for hair colour. And I'm worth it. A cream cheese style spread that actually reduces LDL cholesterol by an average 14%? It could only be Benacol. For more information, call this number. The uh, children's favourite Titans here is the ITV taking on the BBC. Carilla Varley against Sarah Vandenberg. Uh, the most bizarre video game you will ever see in the history of Games Master. Talking about bizarre things, let me introduce mother's favourite Derek Lynch in the co-commentary box. Derek, fantastic as always to see you. Do you Thank have you. any tips for these two ladies? Yes, well, with, with this game, I want to try and keep a nice rhythm. Two-handed technique. <laughs> yes. <laughs> keep a nice rhythm. Keep you are talking pace. about the game here, Derek. Of course, of course. Okay. <laughs> of course. And then uh, you'll see that I'm going to turn into a ball and then really start moving. Okay, and uh, um, do you, uh, which of the two girls would you think would be the favourite? Oh, <laughs> put me on the spot here. Uh, Sarah. Do you fancy Sarah? <laughs> But we come back from the ad break, it's Beeb versus ITV, and they're going head-to-head on the most bizarre game you'll ever see, but doesn't have the best graphics you'll ever see. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. Speaking of bizarre, here's the mother's favourite, Derek Lynch. Then he... <laughs> when he's having a little banter with uh, with Derek, because Derek suggests, you know, oh, the two-hand technique and a good rhythm is what you need, and Dom's immediately like, Oh, I've got you. I've got you. Bang to rights here, mate. And he just basically tries to make that as dirty as he possibly can. And Derek gets a little bit flustered and he immediately follows up the one-two punch of just like, who's the favorite to win? And he knows exact, no matter which one he picks, whether he says Sarah or whether he picks Carol, he's just going to say, it's because you fancy them, don't you? And he'll sing a little song and it'll embarrass Derek even further. And you get that Derek laugh and Dom has a fun time. Yep. And having therefore absolutely destroyed Derek Lynch live on national TV, we can get the challenge underway. And it's a best of three type situation. Yeah, it's funny because I actually forgot that. Um, so when the first race was over, I was like, bloody hell, that's a short challenge. And then I was like, oh, right. Yeah, no, that's because that was actually round one of this. And it is, it kind of follows a very similar pattern which is one of them takes a lead and then falls off something. So the other one takes over, then they fall off something. So the other one takes over, then they might both fall off something. And then the other one takes over and sometimes wins. Round two is a little bit more interesting because it does go very back and forth at the end. And there's everyone shouting, Dominic shouting, Derek shouting, the girls are shouting, the crew's probably shouting. They're it's having a, a mess. great time. Like, I, I think across both of the races, like, I think them falling off and he has more of it because every time they fall off, there's a big like, oh, I fell off. Like, the, the, the girls, like, both Sarah and Carol are, like, really having fun and are quite into the competitive nature of this. And you're like, you're right, Dom and Derek, Dom in particular, Dom's having a whale of a time on this challenge. He clearly likes this game because it's so weird. His enthusiasm for them racing is 
like as palpable as Rick's detestment was to the three players who were playing Gran Turismo. It's it's really good. I actually really enjoyed this one. There is not much for us to say about this challenge, other than it's a lot of fun to watch, and therefore you should watch it. There aren't going to be many clips of the challenge that you're going to be able to put in because it's mainly people shouting. Yeah, that's all there is. And like it is, as you kind of mentioned, it's it's some more or less the same thing with each one. And Sarah wins both of them. But at least in the second one, it's a real like photo finish type thing because they both fall off the bridge at the end at the exact same time. So they both sort of get back on at the same time. And it then comes down to remarkably technique because the idea of the game is that you're you're rolling the trackball and when you get to a certain speed your armadillo will curl up into a ball so you'll run a little bit slow you get to a certain speed get into a ball and then you can fly off and it really does come down to the fact that sarah gets her armadillo into a ball first before carol does so she overtakes her and gets the win right at the end it's actually a very good little like photo finish type deal carol you, you with your contemporary looks and your husky voice and your very professional manner um it didn't wasn't quite enough for you today was it no she she nipped me at the post i can't believe it she just whizzed past me she rolled past me i yeah. couldn't get a roll going you you actually you kind of did a big jump didn't you sarah at the end there and just landed right on her, yeah. on her behind. Yeah, not fair. Not no. fair. It is fair, though, because the last time I came on, I lost. That's right, when you were at Games Master Cup years, years ago, yeah. now. Three hard years working I've got to wait three years to come back. Before you come back, on again. <laughs> and we get into the post-match, and Dom starts with Carol and her husky voice and contemporary looks and professional manner. What happened? And she's she says, I was nipped at the post. She she just She just blazed past me. And Sarah doesn't even really wait to be addressed. She's just like, hey... Last time I was on this show, I lost, and I've worked hard for three damn years to come back on. And Carol's like, okay, do I have to wait three years? And I think Dom missed a trick here to just go, no, because this is the last series ever. Tough titty. There's something cut here, I think, because Dom is clearly about to say something, and then it cuts to a different shot, and it's just him going like, the winner of this challenge, I think there's a joke there that got cut. And it probably was them talking about the fact that this show's not going to be on the air in three years' time because we're off of the air in three weeks. But Luke, this leg of the ratings war has been won by the BBC as the Games Master Golden Joystick goes to Sarah and FB Small Eye. I think that that was a challenge that... Oh, it's what every celebrity challenge has more or less been in Series 7, which is women that don't fancy playing silly arcade games. And that's going to get really silly in a, in a couple of episodes' time. Um, I think it's probably the best of the lot, though, I guess, just because it's... I feel that there's a lot of enthusiasm about it. And I think they're having... Everyone seems to be having a very good time with it. And this feels like the most fun of of the the sort of the celebrity challenge we've had in this vein. It takes me back to series three and the whack a mole challenge. Fun enough with Danny Bear. Yeah, I I know hilariously with Danny Bear, given you know she is that spectre looming in the back of Dom's mind so often. But it was a fun challenge because it's a case of it is a game. It yeah. is a game you can play. It is an arcade game, a video game. But it's very easy to pick up and people can have fun playing it without having to worry about just being bad at the game. Yeah, And that's the same with Armadillo Racing. They didn't have to worry about being bad at the game. They just got to have a bit of fun. Or maybe in a future series time that won't exist, they can come and play some of these new arcade games that, that are coming in here in today's feature, which just sort of feels like an extended news item, which is just here are three arcade games that are coming out 
some of them will get ports, some of them might not do. While the rest of us have been enjoying Crimble, we Japanese brokes have been locked in their bedrooms, creating the latest arcade games. Winter Heat is the first of these. It's actually the sequel to Athlete Kings, which you may have seen on the show last series. The game features eight events, including downhill skiing, cross-country, speed skating, bobsleigh and a ski jump. And you can expect another perfect Saturn conversion very soon. And we're kicking things off with Winter Heat and what I kind of do like about this news item, particularly the first two, is they link back to things we've seen previously in Games Master. So this is a sequel to Athlete Kings, which we had in Series 6. And we'll have one that comes up in a second that it links back to Prop Cycle. And I like the the Dom ends this by saying, like, I would expect a Saturn port soon. He's like, very soon, mate. It's out pretty much. It's one month to the day this comes out. Yeah, I mean, Winter Heat, much like Athlete Kings, a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a good old-fashioned button-mashing sports simulator arcade game. It's great fun. I've got both this and Athlete Kings on my Sega Saturn over here. I don't really play them much because... Don't want to wreck my satin pads. No, I think if we do them as challenges at UCP Live 3, we'd probably just buy some dummy satin pads that come in. They can be... Those are challenge pads. Those, those are challenge... Yeah, those are challenge pads. Those are pads... Those are, Get some of the first-generation UK satin pads, the ones that nobody f***ing wants. Either that or we'll just borrow Dave's again and we'll wreck his. For those that find public displays of Lycra distasteful, Salvation comes in the form of Downhill Bikers, the sequel, of course, to Uphill Gardeners. Somebody's obviously decided that motorbikes are for wusses and produced a new racing game that, like Prop Cycle before it, relies on pedal power alone to get you to the next checkpoint. Current test machines feature a twin-screen link-up mode so you and a friend can compete head-to-head, admire the scenery and leave nasty tyre tracks over nature reserves, national parks and sites of historic interest while getting piles. I like that it's got the Prop Cycle gimmick that you have to ride your bike to do this. I think that's quite fun, really. Yeah, it's it's a fun little game. It's using Namco System 23 hardware and again, link-up is the key. Up to four machines can be linked together for this. I love link-up arcade games and I love a game that is u- as unique as this with its kind of pedaling mechanism the idea of four people in an arcade all absolutely sweating their asses off playing this game sounds like a lot of fun that's what came to my mind as well like when i was you know looking around for this game earlier and i went onto this you know arcademuseum.com and it has an image of all four of them together linked up and i then just sort of got this sort of you know not even not nostalgic moment but a, a a fictionalized moment in my mind of me and my mates going down to the arcade and playing this game because I bet you it's a really fun time. Like if I know it's not at Hog, but like if you know when we do the next UCP live and this was there, this is the sort of thing that we would gather towards. Be like, oh, let's go and play that because that would be really fun. Like Prop Cycles are fun game to play, and that is available at Hog. But if you could do that four player essentially, oh, you'd have a brilliant time. It'd be such a laugh playing that. Me and Cliff still message each other every now and again, talking about how our shoulders still hurt a little bit from playing House of the Dead 3. I think we would be still talking about like how knackered our legs were playing that. That's that feels like it's got a lot, no pun intended, got a lot of legs to it. That yeah, we'd be starting the next live show winded from playing that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The local arcade, however, would be a hollow place indeed if it wasn't for the occasional game that featured nothing else but blokes kicking each other in the Nadgers. Hooray then for Airgate, a new beat-em-up that's the result of a collaboration between Namco and the creators of Final Fantasy VII, Squaresoft. The game cunningly features all the best bits nicked from the most successful beat-em-ups, which means players can use weapons, interact with the environment and turn into animals. 
Given most people's naturally violent tendencies, we're expecting air guys to do the business in arcades this spring until the nights get lighter and you can go and meet women. Game that I did play a lot of specifically because of the characters that made their way into there for the PlayStation version. It's Urgheis. What happens when Namco and Square get some nookie together? Oh, God bless this ring. Because, yeah, like we were obsessed with final fantasy 7 by the time our guys get to the playstation which i think is like like 99 me and my friends are super duper into final fantasy 7 and playing it a lot and talking about it a lot and i remember you know i told this on the podcast before but like me and my cousin used to have like hour-long conversations about the plot details of final fantasy 7 and hints and tips on various different parts of it so we were also big beat-em-up fans so you're telling me that there's a beat-em-up where I, I don't give a toss about the other characters, but Cloud and Tifa, Sephiroth and Vincent's in there? Bloody hell, even Zack makes it into the game. Uh, less fussed on Yuffie like, but Vincent was the coolest character in Final Fantasy VII. He was the one that me and my mates were super duper obsessed with. So there was this thing about her guys that really just appealed to us because it was characters that we liked from a different game were also in this one. I mean, this wasn't the first fighting game uh, that was coming out under the Square banner because Dream Factory, who developed it, had also developed Tobal Fighting, which we talked about on a previous episode because we saw it come up. And they got some fighting pedigree on board, uh, designers and coders that had worked on Virtua Fighter and Tekken worked on the game. It was a good game. It was a fun game. I do remember liking this game a lot i oddly don't have a lot of i remember playing the game and being excited for the game because i mean like clouds literally on the cover of the game so we were dead excited for for that reason but i don't remember a whole lot of playing it like i've got all of these stories i can tell you about playing final fantasy 7 final fantasy 7 is on, on my mind a lot at the moment because of how much it's come up on this podcast and the timeline that we're in i have started a new save file on it at work so my lunch breaks now if no one's using the, the ps5 i just go and sit on a beanbag and i just play final fantasy 7 for an hour and so i'm, I'm in a big final fantasy 7 mode at the moment so i've gotten to loads of different stories about that but i don't have any like solid memories of playing this game i only have more memories of being excited about it than actually playing it i'm 90 percent certain i got this as a u.s import Oh, really? Purely because I seem to remember having it in a CD case rather yeah, than the yeah. thicker uh, European PlayStation cases. Couldn't tell you anything more than that. I certainly didn't have the limited edition one that came out, which had like a, an alarm clock and stuff with it, which is... So, do you know, I've got some weird tat and shit with my games over the years. I don't think I've ever got an alarm clock before. Seven Games Masters done and dusted. Only three more till we bite the big one. Three weeks until... TV Land becomes less funny than Shane Ritchie telling one of Joe Brand's jokes to a funeral party. Good night. But there we are, Ash. It's only three more episodes to go of this series. Only, and as we've said many times before, it's only two real episodes left before the, the final clip show. And when I started making notes for episode seven, I was like, crikey, are we that far into this series already? Like, I know it's only nine episodes, but it's feels like it's come around really quickly it only feels like yesterday we were starting this series i think these episodes have been quite light lifting for us i mean we've still recorded the same amount you're still getting the same length episodes for the most part but there have been less games less challenges 
a lot of ground that we have retrod or we've talked about games having appeared in news or coming soons or whatever. But they've also been, for the most part, quite easy records. Mm. And I think that's why it's gone so quickly. Yeah, it's quite apropos that this takes place on a desert island because we've got quite a bit of a, a laid-back vibe to our records as well. Yeah, it's been a very chilled record for Series 7. But also, whilst, as always, I've enjoyed talking about this with you, and you know, we, are, we haven't quite got to the end of this episode yet, but we've been far more casual. I think we've been more sweary <laughs> as well, because we're a little bit less presenter mode and a little bit more two mates just shooting the shit on this series. There I go again. There was one episode that I cut recently where I was got through like the, a half hour, 45 minutes. And I was like, crikey, there's been no swears in this episode at all. And then all of a sudden there just became this barrage of swears. And I was like, oh, there they all are. We were saving them for when I had the second glass of wine, it would seem. But the sun is setting on this episode of Games Master and almost on this episode of Under Consultation. Three more until they bite the big ones. Three weeks until TV becomes less funny than Shane Ritchie. A fair shot. Telling one of Joe Brand's jokes to a funeral party. Unfair. Joe Brand is a national treasure. She is a national treasure. One of my least favourite Taskmaster contestants, though. I, I, I wasn't a, it wasn't her biggest thing. I don't think it was her style uh, of show. And I had a little bit of a worry that... Um, is it Jenny Eclair that's on the new one? She she has not changed since 1994. But that's one of the... I, when Jenny Eclair was announced for it, I was like, oh, she's going to be another Joe Brand. Nope. She is absolutely, a uh, one episode in, tremendous on right. the re <laughs> <laughs> It was uh, one of those... At the end of that first episode, my wife and I looked at each other and I was like, Christ, this is one of those rare occasions. All five are bringing something to the table. All five are hitting this so hard. But yeah, I, I think that's unfair on Joe Brand. I still have a lot of time for Joe Brand, and I remember very fondly her Channel 4 show in the 90s. At the time, this would have been going out, I imagine. But it is a fun little three-layer joke. Often, but basically what he's saying is an unfunny joke by an unfunny comedian at an unfunny place. Yeah, it's got layers to it. Some of which are unfair. And they go off into the House of Pants and I don't know, do we think this is an actual surprise party or is this just the next track on the sound effects CD? Oh, I shazammed it. It's Party Background SFX Volume 12. Oh, okay. So they still do not, they haven't found extra people on this island then. No, 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 no. This is another one of Dominic's uh, sound effects records that he has from his DJing gigs. But that's going to do it for this episode of Games Master. Ash, what did you make of uh, episode seven as we near the end of this series? It is an episode held up by a celebrity challenge. You don't say that often because Gran Turismo, amazing game, groundbreaking game, one of the just best racing games on the PlayStation, certainly for longevity. Certainly for impact, 10 million copies sold. These three guys, uh, they do it a disservice. It's like it's like watching people play Street Fighter 2 in the early series and a heavy punch is considered a highlight of the bout. Yeah, it's it was sounded so good on paper. The technically the three best players, in theory, the three best games players in the country playing this super awesome realistic racing sim. As I said, I think if you put these three on Ridge Racer, it'd have been a different story. But it's not Ridge Racer, but they played it like it was. It's it's a shame. I think on paper, this was such a good idea. Kind of like in a way that it was, on paper, it was a good idea to bring in that pro skateboarder to commentate on Top Skater. And in reality, it didn't actually work. I think in reality here, 
this one didn't quite come to pass either. No, it sadly didn't. Uh, the news was fun. It was completely flim-flam, mostly irrelevant news. Celebrity challenge, absolutely great. Bonkers game, bonkers contestants, a lot of fun. And then some cool arcade games at the end. It's a shame that the main meaty challenge drags it all down. And I'm trying to work out where that leaves me. What did you yeah. make of it? Well, I've similar to you, really. And it's it's I find it very interesting that last week we were making that whole point of like, this is an episode of two halves. The first half's really good. And then the second half slightly lets it down. I think in this one, it's almost like the first half slightly lets it down. And the second half picks it back up. Because I think that celebrity challenge is dead good. And that kind of also ties us both slightly into the first half. It's, you're right. It's just that meaty bit there of the Gran Turismo challenge doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. And when I went into this episode, like, you know, just blind, just loading up the episode, knowing what challenges are coming up or knowing that what games are coming up, I was really excited for Gran Turismo and I wasn't that bothered about Armadillo Racing because what I saw on paper was an amazing challenge that should be really, really good with some really top quality games playing on there and Dominic Diamond fancying some birds playing a silly arcade game that you know is no different to a 2p machine and it's just a bit of filler for the second half of the episode and I was so wrong I was completely wrong on that it actually ended up being the other way around the Gran Turismo challenge let me down somewhat it wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be and Armadillo Racing was awesome it was really really cool so it you know you can't judge a book by its cover and and I did on this one and I got that very wrong mate it's been said before and I'll say it now Smooth on the inside, crunchy on the outside, armadillos. I say that a lot. Uh, we watch a lot of cooking shows here uh, in the Owen household. And any time John Tarode or Greg Wallace says, you've got a really crisp outer edge and a smooth buttery middle, I will always shout out, armadillo. Because it's effectively the same thing. Oh, yeah. And you bet in their head, they've been around <laughs> long enough. They they've know. probably got this little voice going, armadillos. <laughs> You're a bit thick, really, aren't you? Mm. so where do i stand score wise last week i gave it 81 percent, and i think i'm in a similar ballpark to that as well i might even just give it the exact same score of 81 maybe going down to 80 because the larger chunk of this was the the least good bit which is the gran turismo game so yeah i'm gonna say i'm gonna go flat 80 on this one I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm 82. Yeah, I I think it is that lower 80 mark. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's it's not a bad episode, but it's it's got that sort of mid-season flim to it, if you, you know get what I mean. Like, it's a bit of just like, a bit of mid-season filler before we get to the, the high point of the end, if, if there will be a, an uptick at the end. I'm not sure I'd say mid-season filler. I just think... On paper, this should have been just a 90-plus episode if the challenges had been there for the Gran Turismo. And yeah. just on the day, they weren't. I mean, next week's episode has is a really good one because it's got oh, a yeah. great, great uh, main challenge. A real, like, Series 5 and 6 show-long challenge in a big arcade machine that's absolutely awesome. So many challenges, it, it is what it is, but that next week's challenge is superb. I'm l I'm really excited to talk about next week's show with you. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media at underconsolepod on Twitter, at under.console on Instagram, and send us an email with your Series 7 feedback to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, other fans of gaming, modern and old, 
and pop culture and all that good trouser jazz, you can do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found in the show notes and on social media. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra and our monthly community show under console nation. At the five pound level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free. At the 10 pound level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what is that? Well, at the 10 pound level, you get all of the following in theory. And I say that because we have run out of <gasps> £10 Patreon packs. Uh-oh. More will be ordered. But as of recording on the 5th of April 2023, we have run out of glittery golden joystick waggler mugs. We still have plenty of sweeties. We still have plenty of stickers. More badges are on the way. But when they are all together, I will bundle them up nice and snug and I'll spin them, and I'll spin them, and I'll spin them, and they'll turn into a ball, and then they'll just crash into some water and have a heart attack and die and then be delivered by Royal Mail. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Alexis, Andrew Cummings, Andrew Greenwood, Andy, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chris Price, Chrissy Two Sticks, Colin, David Palmer, David White, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brands, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mangel, I am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie, Joe McGonagall, Joe Mitchell, Kevin, Kylie, Lawrence, Liam Link, Mark, Matty Boo, Misha, Nick, Bill, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese, Richard, Sarah, aka Pink Lithium, Sean, Selena, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom, Dylan McEvoy, Tom S, William Cottingham, Xanderthal, and Zach. That'll do it for this week's episode. We will see you in seven days' time for the penultimate full episode of the original run of Games Master. Take care, everyone. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.